Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk a bit about the Taft-Hartley Act of 1947. Um, I've mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, one a few months ago, about Harry Truman's uh, confrontations with America's trade unions in the immediate aftermath of the war. Truman was uh, deeply inflexible when it came to organised labour. He wasn't entirely unsympathetic towards them, but in the condition, the climate of the Cold War, he saw any sort of uh, internal dissent based on pay bargaining as a uh, almost treasonous act of disunity. Um, and the fact that the political mood since about 1944 had been to began to radically shift towards uh, the centre right, away from the centre-ish left of the uh, New Deal years, meant that the unions were not uh, operating in favourable political circumstances. As we've already seen, Truman managed to face down the um, rail unions uh, in 1946, uh, but it was coal that would provide one of the biggest challenges to his his presidency. 90%, 95% of uh, American locomotives still ran on coal, and it was uh, the source of 62% of all America's electricity as the coal-fired power station was uh, still the, the, the dominant means of uh, generating uh, wattage. And the um, coal unions looked at the uh, advent of oil uh, in the uh, automobile market and in, in every other regard and saw it as a, a rival power source uh, to coal, uh, more efficient uh, and uh, in greater supply potentially. 
and were highly anxious about the uh, ability of the United States now to control much of the world's oil supply, either in America or increasingly in the Middle East. The Titanic figure at the head of the United Mine Workers of America Union, John L. Lewis, uh, believed that he was able to extract almost any concession from the government given the uh, power that uh, coal had in the US economy. He essentially believed that no government could be trusted to uh, support workers' rights, particularly the miners' rights, and therefore no government was really worth his absolute loyalty. In 1928, he'd supported Herbert Hoover. In 1936, he switched his support to Franklin Roosevelt. Um, he tacitly um, um, helped Roosevelt in 32, And in 1936, he um, swung a huge amount of union support and money behind Roosevelt for re-election. However, he was suspicious of um, both Conservatives and Liberals, and certainly had no love for Roosevelt's successor, Harry Truman. He split with Roosevelt on the issue of the war and was a, a firm isolationist, even though he had been a supporter of most of the um, New Deal legislation in, uh, in the, the mid-1930s. He was a heroic figure amongst uh, the mining communities of the uh, northeastern states, places like Pennsylvania, and he was uh, revered uh, across the industry as somebody that was willing to fight head-on for the uh, the miners. He's quite a, a fierce, stern uh, figure um, who was uh, intimidating to politicians and other unionists alike. And, of course, he was hated by Harry Truman, who referred to him as a racketeer, and uh, his um, Harry Truman's attack on the rail, um, the rail unions in Congress on uh, May the twenty fifth, nineteen forty six, was also a, a barbed uh, attack on uh, Lewis as well. Previously, as we've seen, if you uh, remember the previous podcast I did on Truman and the unions, um, the unions essentially blink in May 1946 when uh, Truman publicly criticises them and uh, introduces harsh anti-union uh, laws in Congress. And the unions uh, come to terms. They're, as I said, they, they blink first. But in November of 1946, Lewis decided that he uh, did not like the terms to which had been agreed and wished to revise them. And so he called out 400,000 uh, miners uh, onto, uh, on, with a threat of strike if his demands were not uh, adhered to. Truman um, was this time determined to put up as much a fight as possible and saw this battle as one of the kind of the key tests of his presidency. Obviously, um, winter was on the way, and most importantly, um, Truman saw um, Lewis as the, the kind of his his nemesis, somebody that was deliberately trying to challenge his authority. 
Um, Truman gained a court order which uh, stopped the proposed strike, but Lewis ignored it. And the result was a federal judge handing down a fine to the union of $3.5 million, and Lewis personally got a fine of $10,000, an astronomical sums of money uh, for the time. And the judge referred to the strike as an evil, demonic, monstrous thing that means hunger and cold and unemployment and disorganisation of the social fabric. Um, if can, actions of this kind can be successfully persisted in, the government will be overthrown. Now, this is uh, you know hyperbolic to say the least. A government that has survived the Second World War is unlikely to be done down by striking coal miners. But the reason why we have this um, hyperbole is no, in no doubt to do with the anxieties of the Cold War itself. Because the president saw that he had essentially won this round and there was little that Lewis could do short of serving a jail term other than pay up, uh, President Truman refused to negotiate and on December the 7th he called off the strike and Truman was jubilant. Truman said... The White House is open to anybody with legitimate business, but not that son of a bitch. And, of course, most of the nation's newspapers united behind the uh, president. Press barons on either side of the Atlantic have never been wild fans of trade unionists. And for a beleaguered and largely unpopular president, it turned out to be the first real uh, piece of successful um, executive action that had occurred that year. Bringing two powerful trade unions to heel in the space of six months was quite an achievement for Truman. And the government could have been forgiven for thinking that um, the problems that they, as they perceived it, the problems that the unions created for the economy were over. But collective pay bargaining continued and this had an impact uh, not in the, the 40s and 50s, but would later in the 60s and 70s, uh, it would have an impact on um, w wages and prices in America as uh, America and the rest of the world encountered waves of inflation and inflation and um, union uh, militancy tend to go rather hand in hand. The uh, problem that the unions faced as well wasn't so much from Truman as it was going to be from the changes to the American economy that would happen throughout the post-war era, away from heavy manufacturing um, around which trade unionism uh, was based and as a, a largely white male workforce towards um, an entirely more fractured and fragmented economy where there was uh, more uh, individual working, loan working, there was more um, uh, blue a transition from blue-collar to sort of white-collar clerical work, harder to unionise, uh, less accustomed to the, the culture of uh, unionisation. Um, there would be an influx of uh, women into the workforce, um, black and uh, ethnic minority. Men and women would eventually join um, the uh, blue and white collar workforces uh, across America on um, increasingly assertive terms and these presented all sorts of uh, sectional and um, economic challenges and organisational challenges to the trade unions that had really been um, previously uh, white men's fraternities. 
Truman was not alone on Capitol Hill in being hostile to the trade union movement. And in 1947, a further offensive on uh, the rights of trade unions uh, began uh, as congressmen who heard uh, between the 1930s and the uh, post-war years uh, been uh, agitating for and campaigning for anti-union legislation uh, to put what they saw as arrogant organised labour back in its place, began to organise to do just that. Previously, when uh, democratic uh, congresses had uh, chosen to attack union rights, uh, they had uh, encountered the veto of Franklin Roosevelt, which was uh, only uh, enforceable during the time of war. And both houses were seized by the Republicans in 1946 and strongly supported uh, by Southern Democrats, conservative uh, Southern Democrats. There was a, an electoral coalition there ready to deal uh, a mighty blow to the trade union movement. This coalition was helped by employers, groups and um, lobbyists And it was led by um, Fred Hartley in the House, who was a Republican um, and uh, profoundly anti-union and from New Jersey. In the Senate, Robert Taft of Ohio, who was the son of the former President Taft, quickly drafted the Taft-Hartley bill in uh, early 1947. And this was um, a bold and aggressive attempt to undo the Wagner Act of 1935. The Wagner Act, or the National Labour Relations Act, as it was uh, also known, helped to um, address relations between unions and employers, but on decidedly more favourable terms for the trade unions. It prevented the kind of unethical and um, authoritarian business practices that were frequently employed in uh, gerrymandering union elections in the workplace, um, bullying uh, stru- uh, union stewards uh, out of uh, their jobs and generally intimidating and undermining trade unions that operated in workplaces. All these sorts of things became... In- Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Legal. But Taft-Hartley was a way of restoring the power of employers. The president could now call for an 80-day cooling-off period before strikes, and this, uh, particularly those that would affect the national interest, but that is a very nebulous term, uh, can be extended to fit pretty much anything. And it banned closed shops. It, it made sure that anybody who went to apply for a job didn't necessarily have to join the union as well. The uh, bill prevented secondary boycotts. This is one of the um, great strengths of the labour movement, uh, the ability for different, uh, different trades and unions to show solidarity and strike as well. And it also spawned a generation of legislation, um, the right-to-work laws, which meant that individual states could pass legislation which uh, undermined and created obstacles to union organising. And the um, way in which it was couched was that uh, the the union uh, organising actually presented an obstacle to employment, that people had the right to work without being expected to join the trade union. First of all, this would give employers, non-unionised employees, a lot easier to deal with and a lot easier to um, pay badly if you so chose. But also it uh, represented fears that the uh, unions were in some way dominated by Reds, uh, dominated by uh, communists or communist fellow travellers, and that the Taft-Hartley Act was was therefore in some ways a, a, an act of national security. Of course, the unions weren't dominated by communists. The unions were dominated by men, and in some cases women, but primarily men, who, for the most part, thought capitalism was terrific and wanted to participate in it even more i.e. to access higher wages and better conditions so that their share of post-war prosperity would go up. The great majority of union members had little sympathy or interest in the Soviet Union and perhaps paid scant little attention to Cold War politics anyway and they were the kind of conservative with a small c blue-collar working class of America, many of whom who'd experienced and endured the war, either on the battlefield or on the industrial front, and had a great deal of um, pride in their status as the kind of uh, labour aristocracy, the uh, uh, American blue-collar working class. So the the accusation that there was some sort of lingering Bolshevism at the heart of the American trade union movement is actually quite laughable. These institutions were far more conservative with a small c than uh, would they have been given credit for in the past. Taft-Hartley also required um, union members and union uh, activists to sign non-communist affidavits uh, if they wanted workers to get accesses to the National Labour Relations Board. 
and the NLRB had been the, the tool that the Wagner Act had created to police um, troublesome employers who were likely to whittle away workers' rights. The Taft-Hartley Act, therefore, which discriminated against communists and the uh, and not just communists but those perhaps suspected of communist involvement, meant that workers who did fall into this niche category could not be adequately represented or defended against their employers. It's hardly surprising then that the Taft-Hartley Act was uh, referred to as the Slave Labour Act by trade unionists. And um, the CIO counsel, Lee Pressman, uh, said, when you think of it merely as a combination of individual provisions, you are losing entirely the full impact of the programme, the sinister conspiracy that has been hatched. Ironically, the Taft-Hartley Act uh, didn't have the entire backing of Truman. Truman realised in 1946 that he'd rather overplayed his hands with the trade unions and lost serious um, support uh, amongst blue-collar working-class communities uh, in uh, key um, key marginal seats across America and thought it time now to uh, dial down the conflict and try to make a few friends. Truman vetoed the bill when it passed, um, realising now that union relations with the presidency were in freefall, but the both houses uh, actually overrode the, the veto. Truman didn't have the kinds of um, wartime executive powers that Roosevelt had and also Truman, when he'd been a wartime president, had been able to wield, and he simply didn't have the executive authority to veto a piece of legislation like that. Union leaders then gave thought to uh, going on strike in order to protest, and perhaps a decade earlier they certainly would have done and would have succeeded. But now many uh, union leaders in the AFL and the CIO realised that the world had turned quite considerably and they were existing in an entirely different political climate. Many members were unsure about how to proceed and what to do and instead union leaders decided that they would fight the law in Congress and appeal to Congress to amend the Act. In reality, the Taft-Hartley Act, its power came more from its symbolism than from its actual legislative uh, provisions. The end of closed shops certainly caused the unions uh, to have a decrease of power in workplaces, and the anti-communist provisions were more easily accepted by trade unionists than has been previously suggested. They were uh, able to swallow their uh, civil liberties, um, uh, objections and sign. But bargaining with employers still continued and in reality what the uh, Taft-Hartley Act showed was more important than what it did. It showed that as the unions had accepted it that their power was in decline and it also showed to a public who were perhaps wary of unions and of anything affiliated with the democratic left, or in their eyes, the undemocratic left, 
it showed that as Congress was willing to take action uh, against the trade unions, that there uh, must, by extension, be something to be suspicious of. At the time of the uh, Taft-Hartley Act, another front in the struggle for union rights was unfolding in the South. The AFL and the CIO were um, in competition against one another uh, to break the hold of anti-union employers in the South. Um, This was loosely referred to as Operation Dixie. Um, the Operation Operation Dixie ran into difficulties from, from the get-go. The state governments and the biggest employer of um, factory labour in the South, uh, the textile industry, were determined to prevent the AFL and the CIO from succeeding. Um, agricultural employers um, who employed um, cotton and fruit pickers were also determined to stop any ch- any sort of inroads by the uh, unions uh, into the south. Anti-union um, leaders and organisers um, spoke openly to um, racist sentiment by suggesting that the CIO was attempting desegregation by uh, hope- hoping to represent both black and white workers. And in Birmingham, Alabama, a steel city, white steel workers were uh, opposed to and rejected um, entreaties from the um, communist-dominated mine mill and smelters work union that had a large number of black members. And uh, interracial union organisation in the South failed and was uh, part of the death knell of Operation Dixie. And by 1948, union figures in the South, union membership in the South, had, was actually lower than it had been in 1945, as trade unions were associated with all sorts of uh, unpleasant anti-Southern notions, such as um, civil rights and uh, racial integration. Um, so there you go. We'll leave it there. Um, I f- hope you found that useful and we'll return to Truman's America in the not too distant future. If you found this interesting and you want to say hi, check us out on the Explaining History Facebook page. Uh, it'd be great to speak to you there and um, we'll catch you on the next podcast soon. All the best. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.